All right, I love that. If you don't like guitar and rock and roll, you're probably going to hate everything we do here. I'm just, just going to go on record right now. Um, why apologize for what we do, amen? Um, anyway, good to see you. How many of you had a great week? Okay, about nine of you had a great week. That's good. Like, glad to hear that. How many of you had an okay week? How many of you had a lousy week? Oh, that's good. Then I think the majority of us are doing pretty well in life. Amen? Amen. Well, um, let's, just, uh, let's just jump right into the Word of God. We have a lot to do. God showed me a lot of stuff here. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to pull them out and uh, open to the book of Matthew chapter 3. And before we do that, I want to just remind you of what our mission statement is. It goes like this, to influence the world and spread God's fame that many may believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. You see, that's why we exist. We exist to influence people for Jesus Christ, that they might know kingdom principles, that they might gain those keys to the kingdom so they can unlock hearts, unlock lives, and help people to understand what it means to have this living, dynamic faith in Jesus Christ, and not just religion. Not, you see, it's not about just doing the religious stuff. It's about really connecting with God. How many of you want to connect with God? Say amen. amen. All right. I think that's everybody. All right. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3, and let's look beginning in verse 13, if you will. Then Jesus came from the Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. Now, already you see something unusual if you know something about uh, Judaism, and that is that no Jew was ever baptized. It was only non-Jews who were proselyted into the Jewish faith. They had ceremonial washings, but baptism was so radical that when John came out of the wilderness, this wild man wearing camel hair and eating locust, everybody looked around and go, "What is going? who is this guy? He's crazy as can be. First of all, he's loud, he's poorly clad, and now he's baptizing Jews. So much so that when some of the Jews came down and they said, hey, baptize us also, and he said, you know what, when you guys bring me uh, uh, fruits of repentance, I'll baptize you, but not until then. So here comes Jesus, verse 13. Now verse 14, John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you. John knew who he was. He said, wait a minute. I'm not worthy to baptize you. Why don't you baptize me? And look at how Jesus responds. He says, you are coming to me, but Jesus answered and said, permit it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So Jesus connected this idea of baptism with righteousness, with this public display of faith in the plan of God, he connected it right here, and he said, don't, don't forbid it, don't try to stop it, it's fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Now, if you've been at Influence very long, you know that we have uh, baptisms uh, two or three times a year, and we had one last Easter at our sunrise service, and we're going to have another one again this year. We used a big horse trough, and we heated the water up, we got it so hot that we couldn't even get people in it. We had to bring ice and start dumping ice in it to cool it down. It just seemed like an influence kind of way to do baptism. Well, this Easter, we're going to again have a baptismal service. We're going to have it 
in a horse trough. Don't think because we got a building, we're going to get fancy now. All right, we're going to have a horse trough, and we're going to baptize 100 people on Easter Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. And you know what? Some of those people are going to be you, and some are going to be your friends. Some are going to be people that have come to faith in Christ. Because we believe that somehow through those waters of baptism, it seals a commitment that needs to be sealed in our life. Now let's go on and read what it says here. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. Now we're not promising you that on baptism day. Okay? Immediately the heavens were opened up, uh, and it says here that he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Now, this is a pretty amazing moment in the life and ministry of Jesus because largely up to this point, he's been silent in terms of the biblical record. We don't find him performing any miracles prior to this time. We don't find him giving great teachings prior to this time. The only thing we really find is that short moment there of his birth, that short moment when he's uh, at the temple and his parents walk off and leave him like some of you've done here. And, you know, we still have two or three kids from last week that you didn't take home, but we love them anyway. We'll feed them. We'll keep them going. But you see, but we don't have anything there. The biblical record is silent. So now all of a sudden, he bursts onto the scene and everybody's looking around going, what is going on? Who is this guy? Who is this one who they call now the Son of Man? So it says here, a voice came suddenly from heaven and saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's interesting that three times the voice from heaven is uttered in the ministry of Jesus. Here, Also over in John chapter 12, there is a voice that's heard by others. It's a voice from heaven. It's prior to his uh, crucifixion. And then also in Matthew chapter 17, at the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is transformed before the eyes of two of his disciples. It's interesting, it happens three times. You're going to see patterns in Scripture when God wants to put his print of the divine on something, he'll do it in threes. And I'll show you that a couple of times here today. Now, let's go to chapter 4. So remember, here's this high moment. You ever had a high moment, all of a sudden things start to go south? Oh, that's just okay. God's just doing something different in your life. There are different phases. There are different times. Just in the life of a church, there's a time when we start it, there's a time when we build it, and then there's a time when we build it. And I'm talking we can build, build a building, then we got to build the church. And that's our phase we're in right now is building up and encouraging one another. But look what it says, then... The Spirit, look what it did. The Spirit led Jesus, where? Into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So this Holy Spirit who comes like a dove, this voice from heaven, all of a sudden, instead of saying, hey, enjoy that moment, it says, then, then the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Is that not the greatest understatement of Scripture? I mean, I fast like, I've been on this, what are we, night, day 19 now, I think? I'm hungry. But have you ever, if you're fasting food, have you noticed how good food tastes when you take a break from it? Well, it doesn't taste that good that I want to take a break forever. How about you, amen? But anyway, so he says afterwards he, he was hungry, and now the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God. Here's what I've noticed in our life, that, the, that Satan always comes and he brings the if word. He'll say, well, you know, if God really loves you, then why aren't you being blessed? If God really loves you, why are you sick? 
If God really loves you, then why, 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 why? And he always coming, why, why, why? And he's bringing accusations against you. He's trying to get you off track because he knows exactly where your weakness is in your life. So if you are the son of God, notice what it says here, then why don't you command these stones to become bread? After all, you are hungry. You do have power, don't you? Aren't you who you say you are? Don't you have authority? Can't you do that? Turn these stones into bread. And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, I want you in your Bibles just to take or write it down and go back and look at it later. That word, word right there, W-O-R-D, that is the word in the Greek language, rima. Now, there are two primary words that are used to describe the word word. One is the word logos. I'll show you that in a minute. The other one is the word rima. This is the word rima. Jesus is not saying to the devil, hey, look at the Bible, let me hold it up in front of you and scare you with it, like Hollywood does. He's saying, no, God has given me a word from the word, and I want to show that to you because it's going to be really important for you to understand what I'm up to. And we're going to drill down into that truth here a little bit later, but I want you to begin to see what's going on here. Verse 5, then the devil took him up into the holy city set him in a pinnacle on the temple and said unto him, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down. There it is again. If, if you are who you say you are, then why are things happening to you like they're happening? Jesus responds, for it is written, uh, he shall give his angels charge over you and he said in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, Jesus repeatedly is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, chapter 9. And each time he's saying it is written. This is what God says. You see, that's God's authority. You can't win the battles of life with your authority. You can only win the battles of life with God's authority. You can't resist Satan because you are strong, spiritual, or no scripture. You can resist Satan because in his name you rebuke him. In the name of Jesus you rebuke Satan, and he will flee from you. Now, if you look in the scripture here, look what happens. Uh, verse 8, and again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said unto him, if all of these things I will give unto you, if, there it is again, I'm going to give you authority over all the kingdoms of the earth. The interesting thing is that Jesus did not say to him, you can't do that. You see, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. He is the prince of this world. He apparently had authority to give him this or in some measure give him this. And he was tempting him. He's saying, don't you want to be king? Aren't you claiming to be king? Aren't you claiming to be Lord? Then why don't you just take what I'm going to give you, and I'm going to show you a shortcut to the kingdom. That's the same thing Satan does to you today. He'll say, don't you want a shortcut to the kingdom? Don't you want a shortcut to get what you really want? Why don't you hurry up and do that? He might say that to teenagers. Say, don't you really want sex? Teenagers are going, of course I do. I'm in the right time of my life for sex. And so what he does is, why don't you have it now then? It's so good, why delay a good thing? You see, he's always coming, he's trying to take, take shortcuts, get there the easy way, the quick way, and satisfy your own physical urges, your emotional urges, 
your financial urges. I mean, don't you deserve better after all? I mean, look, you've lived this many years unhappy. Don't you deserve to be happy? Then go ahead and take a shortcut. Take the easy route. Satan always does that if, 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 if you only had it better. And those temptations are coming to us just like they came to him. And notice what it says in verse 9. He said unto him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Each one of these seemed to intensify in what they're asking and what they're going to promise. And Jesus said unto him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And then we read that angels came and ministered unto him. The devil left him, angels came and ministered unto him. Now here's what I want you to think about today. I want you to think about fulfilling righteousness in your daily life. How do you do that? How do you go about fulfilling righteousness in your daily life? You allow the Spirit of God to live through you and in you. You see, you have no righteousness of your own. You only have what God gives you and what you release. Jesus said, hey, here's the first step. This first step is this act of baptism. What we want to say is conversion changes your life. When you come to know Christ, really know him, he changes your life from the inside out. Not from the outside in. It's not about keeping rules. Well, if you're a Christian, you wouldn't do that. If somebody tells you that, they probably know very little about the Spirit of God. You see, when the Spirit of God is powerful in you, he pushes stuff out of you that doesn't belong. You don't live by this external code. You live by this internal person, Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came to the stage there and, and was baptized, you know what happened? At that baptism, at, at, at that moment, he was pushed into the center stage of his public ministry for God. And miracles followed his baptism. After that, you would begin to see things happening in his life because that was the mark or the initiation into the kingdom work that God had called him to do. Now, I was reading this passage the other day, and have you ever had God speak to you? I don't mean in a loud, audible voice. I mean in one of those still, small voices where he goes, you know, you need to go look at that. God said to me, God said to me when, he, when I was reading this passage, look at the dove. I go back and I look at the dove. I thought, that's great. Yeah, there's a dove there. You know, some Christians have little doves on the back of their car, you know, they have little necklaces, little dove, you know, it's kind of cute, like the dove. Nothing wrong with the dove. Not real manly, but I like the dove. Okay. <laughs> And so I said, okay, I'm going to look at the dove. And I started reading, and I said, okay, well, what about, are there other times where the Bible mentions a dove? So I went back immediately to Genesis chapter 8. Now, here's what, the, here's what Noah did. He's, okay, things are going bad on planet Earth, right? This Noah, you know, his wife and his three boys and their wives. So eight people are on this ark. God's wiping out the entire planet. And all of a sudden, the rains stop, and Noah thinks, I wonder if it's safe to get off the ark. I wonder how things are doing out there. So he takes a dove, and he releases the dove. And the dove comes back. Let's look at the scripture. In fact, we're going to see that Noah sent the dove out three times. Isn't that interesting? Remember I talked about the work of God, and it's, it's, it's Mark is three, is often in patterns of three. Well, let's go to Genesis chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. He sent out the dove out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. She returned to the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. 
So he put out his hand and he took her and drew her into the ark to himself. Now that dove was going out looking for life, looking for something that could be stable. And this is a picture of the ministry of the Holy Spirit who goes out looking for life. You see, God sends the Holy Spirit out. His Spirit is speaking to some right now. He's looking for a place to land. He's looking for someone who will welcome him into their life. Well, he brings the dove, and and as God sends the Spirit out, he finds some that are receptive and some that are not, and then he brings the Spirit back into himself just like Noah did. Now look what happens in the next two verses, Genesis chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. We find that the dove finds life is receptive on planet earth. See, the question is, are you receptive to God in your life right now? Are you receptive to the spirit of God in your life right now? He waited yet another seven days. You notice the pattern? First seven days, second seven days, I'll give you the the spoiler alert here, there's going to be a third seven days because God's going to work 21 days in three patterns of seven. You see, God is all about putting everything in proper order. And without a careful reading of the Word of God, you'll miss some of these divine patterns set in Scripture. So let's look at it in Genesis chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. He waited yet another seven days, and again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And no one knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So maybe it was just a little twig that came up, just a one little leaf, and that dove grabbed that leaf and brought it back. And all of a sudden, we understand that the Spirit will come and He will find people receptive when they were young and tender. You see, if you're close to God, if you're close to what God wants to do in your life, you won't receive the power of God's Spirit in your life. You see, the Bible says, be careful you don't resist the Holy Spirit. Be careful you don't quench the Holy Spirit. Be careful that you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you live out this life. And so you see, here's this second-fold ministry of the Holy Spirit where he, he comes and he finds those whose hearts are receptive. Now let's go a little deeper into Genesis chapter 8, verse 12. And here we find the dove found a dwelling place. So he waited yet another seven days. And he sent out the dove, which did not return to him anymore. And it's a picture that the Spirit comes to dwell in your heart. And when he comes to dwell in your heart, he comes to live there. He comes to take up residency. He comes to be doing interior decorating in your soul. You ever done any interior decorating? You ever gone in your house and said, we got to do something around here? We're going to paint this, change that. That's what the Spirit of God does inside of you. Day in and day out, he is putting on new coats of paint. He's changing the wallpaper. He's changing the curtains. He's moving furniture around. He's taking some stuff, and guess what? He's got to throw it out. You see, there's some stuff in your life right now. You've got to get out of your life. You've been living with it too long. You've been embracing sin too long. You've been embracing an attitude too long. You have to get it out of your life if you're going to allow room for the Spirit of God to do what the Spirit of God wants to do and can do in your heart. Amen? 
I mean, give God the glory. That's what we need to have happening in our life, amen? Now, when you think about what God wants to do in your life, I want you to think about, here's Jesus. He goes through these waters of baptism. He starts to, we start to learn something about this pattern of the Holy Spirit in our life. In fact, when Jesus was telling his disciples in John's gospel, he said, the Spirit, when he comes, he will not speak on his own authority. He will glorify me. It also says, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and coming judgment. There's a pattern of three, yet one more time. It's also interesting, you'll see the pattern of the dove three times in Scripture, primarily Genesis, and then you'll see it in the book of Song and Solomon where it talks about the bride, and then you'll see it over here in the ministry of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. Now, when we think about it, what did Jesus do from that point? He goes through this period of testing, but there's a proclamation that happens there on John's part and on Jesus' part, and we need to proclaim our faith publicly, Proclaim our faith publicly. And here's a truth I want you to understand. Faith cannot flow when you feel condemned. Let this sink into you. Faith cannot flow when you feel condemned. You cannot operate like a champion if you feel condemned. It just stops it immediately. Let me ask you this. Does God condemn us? Scripture says, no, he does not. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death. There is no condemnation. Let me ask you this. Does God accuse us? No. You see, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. In fact, his name, the root of his main name, Satan, means the one who brings an accusation against you. So when you feel condemned, when you feel like you're accused, it's not coming from God. Now, it can come from you, it can come from your neighbor, it can come from Satan, but it's not coming from God. And what we'll do is we'll get under this load and under this weight. Well, God is mad at me, God is accusing me, God is condemning me. No, that's not God. Don't throw that on God. Be free from that and say, God, I don't want this weight on me anymore. I'm going to take it off. I'm going to get rid of it once and for all. You know what condemnation is? Condemnation is a symptom of self-righteousness. When you have a self-righteousness existing in your life, and then you don't, you either get caught or you feel like you're not measuring up to your own standard, you immediately feel condemned. And you get under that weight. But what Jesus did was he defeated condemnation. See, that was an enemy that came up against him. That was an enemy that comes up against us. Condemning, condemning. What did the devil try to do over there in, the, in, the, in, in those temptations? Condemn you, condemn you. Oh, you're not that. Oh, you're not that. Oh, you're not that. Pushing you down, taking you apart little by little. Also, we need to gain wisdom in order to minister to others. You can't minister to people without the wisdom from God. Every one of us here called to minister to people. James told us if you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives freely, without reproach. But let him ask in faith. Don't think uh, you're going to get what you're asking for if you're like a wave that's tossed to and fro by by the wind in the ocean. 
No, you have to understand this principle that God is for you. Let's just say that together. God is for me. Let's all say it one more time. God is for me. Now, you may not even believe that right now, but I want you to say it until you believe it. I want you to start to to act it out in your life. If God can get your attention for long enough, he can soon begin to control your beliefs. In other words, you say, oh, I do think God loves me. I just keep saying it. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. Because what does God want? He desires, he desires us, and we should desire to be spirit-filled proclaimers of the kingdom of God. Spirit-filled proclaimers of the kingdom of God. Every time that you speak his name, you will grow in boldness. You will grow in authority. Just try it. You say, well, well, I don't know what to say. Well, just say something stupid and see how it goes. You know? I mean, just walk up to somebody and say, hey, you know, I really don't know how to put this, but Jesus loves me. And I think he might even like you. <laughs> I mean, you got to get it out there somehow, amen? You can't be hesitant. You just got to kind of throw it out there. And you know what? They're going to be more shocked than you are. They're going to, what? Yeah, that's right. We had a friend and, and uh, uh, his, he had led this lady to Christ and she was a prostitute. And uh, she, you know, she was always feeling condemned, always embarrassed, didn't think she could say anything, and she really didn't know how to get the message out. And so she decided what she would do is it was in that day when they had little paper tracks, you know, and it told everybody how to come to faith in Christ. It was a really big era, you know, that, where that was used. And so she decided she would go into all the public restrooms, and she would unroll the toilet paper, and she'd put those tracks in there, and then when you pulled the toilet paper out, a track would fall on the ground. Now, that's, I don't know if that's the best method. In fact, I don't really know if I want people unrolling my toilet paper, amen? In fact, I think there might even be a book that should have been written on that called Fourth John. Yeah, some of you will get that about Thursday, I know, all right, okay. Spirit, spirit-filled proclaimers of God's kingdom. I want to tell you about a guy named Ansel. I've told a lot of stories on this guy. This guy was never trained, never went to Bible school. He was, he was not an articulate person. He suffered uh, from severe bipolarism. There would be times where he would be seven days in his house, not even coming out, would not talk to anyone. Seven days he would be on, on the mountain preaching Jesus. It was crazy. And I, Ansel, how do you live like this? He said, oh, it's just it's just pure hell. I don't even know how to tell you, but when I'm up, I'm really up. Well, Ansel decided he was going to start talking to the prisoners. He thought, I'm a prisoner. I'm going to go start and talking to the prisoners in jail. So he went over there, and he would, when his high moments, and he'd preach Jesus to them and talk to them, and they, and they were getting saved. They all loved him, but the guards didn't like him around there too much. A little too fanatical, and so they threw Ansel out of the jail. I said, Ansel, it's bad when they throw you out of a jail, isn't it? And he said, yeah, it is. But you know what he did? He was determined to be a spirit-filled proclaimer of God's kingdom. Here's what he did. He went and bought one of those big uh, metal horns and got a little amplifier, put it in his car. He mounted that big horn on the top of his car, and he found out when the the prisoners were outside for their exercise, he'd pull his car up, he'd get his little microphone, and he'd start preaching the gospel there. (laughs) Determination to get the kingdom out. What happens if we don't get the word of God out to people? What if they never hear? What if they never hear the sweet message of the gospel? 
We are responsible to do that. Let me also show you that we have to use the word of God. We have to use the rhema in people's life. Remember we talked about two different words. One's the word logos, the other was the word rhema. Let me explain that to you just a little bit here. The word logos is defined or used in two ways in Scripture. One is the living word, that is Jesus himself, but it's also used as a written word, that is Scripture or the Bible. Example of that first usage of logos. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the word, that's the Greek word logos, and the word logos was with God, and the Word was God. Now this is talking about Jesus, the living Word. So it tells us in the very beginning, Jesus was there. See, Jesus didn't just come into existence when he took on human flesh and was born among men. He has always been the eternal Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, the living Word, and the Word, the living Word, was with God, and that living word was none other than God himself. You see that? Now let's go to the second word, rima. Rima could be defined like this, scripture that the Holy Spirit reveals for a particular situation. You're reading the Bible, all of a sudden God speaks to you and says, that verse, that word, that phrase, that's for you. He's applying the written word to you Through the Rima. This is the work of the Spirit of God. We can't function without Rima. We have to have God speaking to us. Now, let's look at it, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every Rima that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see it there? I don't live simply by this. I need this. This is my life. I love the Word of God. But I also have to have God speak to me from his word. I have to have him apply it to me. I was praying this last week, and, and God just gave me a reman. It was from Exodus chapter 14 and verse 14 and 15. And as I read it there, it was a story where God's talking to Moses, and Moses is whining. Anybody ever whine? Any whiners among us wives, would you just lift your hand if your husband is a whiner? Right now, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you for that honesty. And he put your hand down real quick. I noticed that. All right. Well, I'll just go on record. I'm a whiner. I, when I get home, I whine. And, you know, she'll say, well, just knock it off. And so I was thinking about that whole idea. And, and God says, the battle, here's what he says to Moses, 14, 14. The battle's not yours. It's God's. Stand still. See, see what God can do. And then here's what he says. Here's what God says to Moses. Why are you crying to me? Well, at least Moses was in my camp. And here's what he says. Tell the people to go forward. Can I just say to you, church, go forward? Go forward. Let's just say it together. We're going to go go forward. You see, go forward. Stand still. See what God's going to do. But go forward in God. Cross the Red Sea, get the victory, take, the, take the, the hill, do everything you can, but succeed with God. Let me show you another example of this word, Rima, in Scripture. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Rima of God. No one gets saved simply by reading the Bible. They get saved by reading the Bible and the Spirit of God speaks to them from the Bible, applies it to their heart, and they exercise faith. You see that? 
I had a professor in, at, uh, at Oxford, and he had the in, entire Bible memorized, the entire New Testament memorized, not only in English, but in Greek. He was not a Christian. He's not a Christian. Taught New Testament Greek, was not a Christian. I don't even know how to make that work in my head. But for him, it was just a, it was just a book of literature. It was just, a, it was just an academic study. It wasn't, a, it wasn't transformational. He knew the word of God, but he didn't know the word of God. You see the difference? You can know the word of God and not know the living word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rema, God needs to speak to you. Every time you read scripture, every time you hear scripture, you need to put this in your head. God, speak to me. God, reveal to me. Give me the rema for my living. Give me the rema for my living. I have to have you speak to me. I cannot, man does not, does not exist. I cannot succeed. I don't live by bread alone, but I live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth. When God whispers, listen. When God speaks, listen. When God moves your heart, don't deny it. You know, sometimes you'll hear God say, you don't need to do that. No, I don't want to do that. What you're doing is you're quenching the Spirit of God. Respond to God instantly. Let me give you another example. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the rema of God. In spiritual battles, you don't win because you have this. Now, we all love the Hollywood movies, you know, where the guy holds up the Bible or the cross and the vampires run, right? I mean, they're gone. Just not real biblical. You want to get Satan out of your life? You need God to speak to you from his word. Take up the helmet of your salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And you want to say, God, what message do you have for me to get me out of the mess that I'm in right now? I got myself in it. I can't get myself out of it. God, speak. Why do you try to work yourself out of something? Why do you try to figure something out? You ever spent your life trying to figure stuff out? Stay up late, stomach hurts, mind hurts. You've probed everybody's mind. Nobody's got any other answers. And you just say, I just can't figure it out, God. And God's going, duh. <laughs> That's what I was trying to teach you from the beginning. It's not about you. It's about me. If it was about you, then you don't need me. You want to live this life where you're totally dependent on this almighty, all-powerful God living in you and through you to do what you cannot do. Here's a couple of statements I want you to think about. Listen, that is Rima, your way out of temptation. Listen to God speak through his word, your way out of temptation. If you're tempted, you stop and you just say, God, would you speak to me? How do I get out of this? Secondly, listen or rema your way out of depression. I'm discouraged. I'm defeated. I'm depressed. I don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. Just stop long enough. Just quit trying to figure it out. Quit feeling sorry for yourself just for a minute and say, Spirit of God, would you speak to me from your word? And when he speaks, you do what he says. Listen, Rima, your way into victory. Listen. Do you hear God speak? He speaks in a still, small voice. 
He doesn't get real loud. He's not shouting like this. He's quiet. Will you listen to me, he says? Will you hear my voice? Will you obey my commands? Will you let me speak to you? Listen your way into joy. Listen your way into joy. I don't have joy. Listen to God. Listen to God. Listen to God. Listen your way into God. What's God saying to you? Let God speak. Take those those prayers that you have and offer them up before God. Today we're going to give you a couple opportunities to to respond and, and just... Just get in the presence of God through the cross and through communion. For the next four or five weeks, we're going to have communion here every week for those of you who'd like to partake. We're also going to have the cross here. We'll have our prayer team at both places. I think it's important for us to get get in that listening mode of living. Let the Spirit of God speak and reveal to us what He wants to do. Spirit, when he comes the first time, he's looking for a place to land. Second time, he finds evidence of life. He finds a tender heart. And then he comes to indwell, to take up residency. Let the Spirit of God have his work in your life. Let's stand as we pray. God, as we stand and we pray, we we come to you, God, recognizing that uh, these two really symbols and realities of our Christian faith, the, the cross and the table, for communion. They point to us, God, great, great truths of, that we need to understand that, that Jesus, you died, you gave your body and your blood for us so we might have life. And we know when we commune with you, God, that we feel close to you, God, and you tell us to come and, and just sup with you, that is to dine with you, to meditate for a moment on the, on the life the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. And then as we go to that cross, God, we know that our sins are taken away at that cross. And we, we come to that cross as a, as a symbol of life. God, I'm just thinking about the cross and how it's just like a, a big plus sign. It's like a positive. God says, this is the plus. This is how it can add value to your life. Come to the cross. Just come to the cross. If you have a prayer request, you want to put it on that cross for our prayer team. Just in, as the band plays, you just move from where you are and go to the cross or go to this communion table and just spend some time with God in these last few minutes that we have together.